Rolling out influencer campaigns across different African countries requires good planning and a nuanced understanding of culture. Tsikhoke Ghana, the founder and MD of Alpha Destiny Communications, leads her team and clients through brand storytelling campaigns across Africa. They've helped brands like Absa, Kellogg's and others to spread their message in South Africa, Eswatini, Nigeria and other African countries. I think what's important is understanding the market. Um, and being on the ground and spending time on the ground. Look, it's every market is different. What works in SA doesn't necessarily mean it will work in Ghana or Nigeria. We talk about some influencer trends that brands should understand and how they can navigate these. The whole bottom line is changing perceptions. So if the mm -hmm. perception is negative, then how do we turn it around? And because we live in social media times, how do we then turn it around in a space of 12 hours? You are listening to The Lead Creative. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Lead Creative Podcast, where we talk to creative industry leaders, influencers, and brands. We discuss the strategies that influence brand thinking and shape industries. Thought leaders and heads of agencies let us in on some of their thinking and insights. I'm your host, Mungi Simtati. Enjoy the show. And please share and subscribe. Tsiko, just to kick things off, um, can you tell me about the moments that you decided that you're going to work in the communications or creative industry? What was the turning point in your life? The wow, the turning point in my life. Um, so firstly, the journey for me started with me knowing that um, I want to be an entrepreneur at some point in my life. Um, I was very young when I came to that realization. I was in high school. Um, and when I realized that I, I don't, if even if I do work for somebody, I don't want to work for somebody for too long. I want to run my own thing. And I started following um, entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs that I looked up to um, at the time. When I was in high school, I was very passionate about events. Um, and I started organizing events from uh, around when I was 15, 16 years old. So when I went to, when I finished metric and I needed to study a course, the first thing that I wanted to study was events because I was so passionate about events. But I also knew that I'm a thinker. So I, I didn't want to just do, you know, work with my hands all the time. I also wanted to have a thinking process, you know, that goes, obviously I didn't know at the time what that meant, but somehow when I looked through the curriculum, um, not the curriculum, the prospectus of, you know, universities and buses and, and certain colleges, then I found public relations. And when I read the prospectus of um, the details, detailing the course PR, uh, that resonated with me and, that is one the reason why. So I wanted to do something that also, of course, that had events in it. Um, I studied PR and later on, I was fortunate enough to get internship opportunities, and then and I and I wanted and I started working in the PR space. The turning point then, what made me realize that you know I want to start my own business, incomes was seeing the gap 
where small businesses were concerned, um, I realized that there was a gap in small businesses, in successful small businesses. They were not getting the brand awareness and publicity that they deserved. And here I am working for a big corporate agency, doing PR for the likes of McDonald's and Sassel and all these big companies. And I thought, you know, I'm gaining all these skills, but I'm servicing, you know, I'm utilizing my skills to service bigger companies who do need PR, but not as much as the smaller ones. Right. And that was the right. gap for me. And that, that, that was the turning point for me, seeing that gap. And that was the reason why I formed Alpha Destiny in 2016. Okay, since then, the the journey has been a fascinating and really great one for Alpha Destiny, where you've worked with big brands, you've worked across the continent in many countries in Africa, and you've, of course, worked and you've seen trends come and go. You've seen different things come and go. What is the one trend that you're following at the moment, and why is that the one that's so interesting to you? The one that I'm, I'm really doing a lot of um, research and um, I'm speaking about it as well in platforms that I, I get an opportunity to speak on is how brands are utilizing influencer marketing versus influencer PR and the understanding between influencer marketing and influencer PR. Um, influencer marketing is when a brand wants to sell a product. So you put a face to the product and the objective there is to sell. Whereby influencer PR is the objective is to tell a story and build brand presence over time or brand awareness over time, utilizing partnering with the face. So it's interesting to see uh, how brands, some brands don't understand the distinguish between the two, between the two, between market influencer marketing and influencer PR. And the return on investment between the two, because when you invest in influencer PR, it's a long-term investment versus marketing. But the return, the ROI in, in the PR space, the influencer PR space, is that um, you get longer-term, um, long-term investments where your customers are concerned. You get more loyalty from your customers because they resonate with one person instead of 10 people over time. So an example of that is from a global perspective is the partnership between Herbalife and Cristiano Ronaldo. That's a partnership that started with Herbalife looking for a face. That face grew into being a business partner. That business partnership also grew in Cristiano Ronaldo owning his own product line within Herbalife. And people resonate with him and people resonate with Herbalife because of him. So there's a return on investment from business perspective, from a brand perspective, from a customer perspective, whereby from a South African perspective to bring it home, the example there is the partnership between um, Batu and Sumizi particularly. Batu has used, has worked with a lot of celebrities, but the partnership between them and Batu and Sumizi is one that stands out. That's it's one that I would utilize as an influencer PR partnership, an example because it's it, it has grown from where it started with Theo Baloi yeah. um, pushing his sneakers to 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 Sumizi in uh, uh, when he was still at Metro FM to Sumizi having his own range 
and now Theo helping Sumizi build his um his own kiddies kiddies business. So that's an influencer PR perspective where all uh, sides are benefiting from 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 the partnership. Are we playing are we playing musical chairs in the marketing space? And I'm I'm asking this question based on um I mean there were, you know, in the early 2000s from you know from from as long as marketing has existed there have been brand evangelist or evangelist type of partnerships that brand brands had it's just that the thing that didn't exist then that exists now is social media and digital right and the ability to amplify on those platforms how is influencer marketing and uh, influencer marketing and influencer PR different from what we used to know as being, you know, a brand brand partnership with a celebrity, which was back then known as, I think someone would be a brand evangelist or whatever the case is. Instead of appearing on social media, they, they would appear on a magazine as an example, right? So how have we elevated that in marketing and how is it different today than it was in 1990 as for argument's sake? Yeah, well, I mean, the elevation is the use, the usage of um, of social media. It has really elevated the market in terms of, you know, conversations, in terms of the platforms, in terms of and and the diversity and how you can utilize the platforms as as best as you can. Look, social media has given us the opportunity to have billboard ads and pay a fraction of what you would pay for a normal billboard ad on, on the highway. So it's no different. The only difference is that we've moved from traditional to digital, but you still get the magazine ad on social or on digital platforms because it's not just social media. It's beyond social media. There's digital platforms that podcast, you know, yeah. um, where brands utilize um, they, they, they ambassadors as voices. Uh, it's something else that is starting. Actually, it, it has, it's, it has already started. You know, it's something that a lot of brands are starting to use, but from a reputation management perspective, yes. it never used to be like that. Brands, you know, never trusted who, who can speak on behalf of a brand, you know, but now they do. Why they do that is because if I'm going to invest in Mongezi, and Monges is going to post about my brand on his platforms. The people that follow Mongezi are people who want to hear from Mongezi. It's not people that want to hear from my brand. They don't care about my brand, but they care about Mongezi. They care about, you know, his lifestyle, what he drinks, where he, where, where he parties or whatever that Mongezi does. So people buy into you and that's what brands are starting to see. So they would rather invest in you for as long as you align to their brand. So you 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 brought up very many interesting points in there that brands tend to tend to worry about. And I kind of want to turn those around slightly. And the one point there is the reputation side of things or the reputational aspects. Because you are in communications and because you do a lot of media relations and public relations, you, you are at the coal face of good and bad media relations or good and bad communication as it plays out. And if, a, if the, the bigger the name of the influencer, the, the, the more likely they are to have a, a reputational mishap or something along those lines. How do you manage that? 
while ensuring that the person you've partnered with remains authentic to their voice and their audience? That's a good question that I may not have an answer to. <laughs> but look, we, we, we did work with Makazi and trust me, the, the, the reputational management there was a lot and simply because of who she is, you know, and it was, it was a thin line be- between having your message constructed correctly through her voice and allowing her to speak in her voice in her way. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very tricky to be honest with you because now you are tapping into someone's personality and now you're tapping into how this person speaks and you're trying to um, uh, remain authentic in all ways. Um, a recent thing that we did, and I can make an example of, you know, the, the stuff I'm talking about, they're already in the public space. Yes. Um, we, we do work for George Kovic's Johannesburg Social um, Housing Committee. And we recently acquired the services of um, and influencers, which um, Zanzi's greatest family. And because of, you know, their content as a family and how they resonate to their, to their followers, you know, we then um, created content around them. But the thing is, the reputation management comes in understanding your influences, understanding the content that they put out there and ensuring that the content you want them to put out resonates with their audience and it speaks to them and it speaks to their content. So it's, it's, it's the, gone are the times where brands dictate to, to ambassadors or influencers on what to say. Gone are the times when we put the content together and just, you know, plug and play. No. We have to work together. And once it's out, once we've approved this content, I'm sure you've seen whenever there's a reputational crisis, people will say, who approved this? You know, they'll always blame who approved this. Once we've approved Absolutely. the I've, content. I've, yeah, there, there's really, been a lot of that. <laughs> exactly. Once we've approved the content internally and it is published, we don't have control as to how the public will receive it. And that's the way the preparation comes in. So with this family, they put it out, the content out, and it's great content, by the way. And when people, and I read the comments, and when people started seeing, they saw, they're like, oh, clearly this is an ad because they're mentioning Joshua quite a lot, but it's fun, you know? So the, the, the lessons then with us was that they're mentioning Joshua a lot. So how then you also want to, you know, put your ad out there, but try to make it as authentic as possible. And trust me, sometimes it's not possible. But whenever the, the, the feedback can also be negative. And when the feedback is negative, then we prepare, say, a follow up video, for example, or we become creative with it. You know, um, I see a lot of celebrities doing statements. Um, statements are too long, boring, become creative with, with your reputation yes. management, you know? Mm. And I think that's, that's what we need to start doing. Um, then the family, if the, if the feedback was negative, then the family was going to uh, shoot another video to say, ah, you know, remember that Josh thingy, you know, we can yes. make fun around the content, you know, so that the, the whole bottom line is changing perceptions. So if the mm-hmm. perception is negative, then how do we turn it around? And because we live in social media times, how do we then turn it around in a space of 12 hours or less? There's something else in there, Tsiko, that that 
has also become very interesting within this influencer marketing, influencer um, PR space. And you, you've you've touched on it now, like the family that you refer to has become an influential family or a family that as a unit influences a lot of people on social media. And as a result of that, they are not the kind of family that you're targeting with Josh Coe, people who are looking for affordable housing within the city center, as an example, right? So how do you marry these two where the family, where the influencer or the family you're working with is seen to be, to be at a higher place than the aspirational kind of person that you're targeting with your message who wants affordable housing, where to the viewer, sometimes how do you make that such that to the viewer, it isn't disconnected or doesn't feel disconnected? Because the family resonates with an average black person um, who lives Kukasi, who who does work, you know, who clearly has um, access to social media. Um, they resonate with that with that person. Um, the family does not represent themselves as a luxurious, high end, mm. um, rich, wealthy family. They they present themselves as we're an average family that just loves each other, and we live in the township, and we're happy. You know, and most of, of, of black folks, that's, that's, you know, how we grew up. So we resonate with that. Their son now has finished, um, matric, I think, and now is on his journey to start his new life in Johannesburg. And he's starting from, from scratch. He doesn't have a job. You know, it's, he's still going to hustle, you know, so his parents can afford what they can afford. And that's where then this, the, the, the affordable housing comes in because, um, social housing actually, um, where he, the parents will be able to support him in, you know, getting a rented apartment from Joshko. You know, so the story then comes around that and it makes sense. It resonates because when you see the response from the, the audience, they, they liked it because they also spoke about, oh no, my neighbor, Ostroisi, Lena, you know, he, she, you know, she, she applied for her son and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's like the community story as to, did you hear about this, this option, you know, for your son or for your child in case they're going to Josie, you know, so it's, it's, we made it look and feel very authentic and real. You know, and I think that's the power of storytelling is, you know, how you tell the story needs to resonate with your audience. So you always have the audience in mind first when you're telling the story. And that's how you, you marry the two brands. Um, if, if it was a, let's say the Golisis for, for, for an example, and we had a Josh Cole, it wouldn't make sense. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. While sticking with storytelling a bit more and, and, and connecting that with influencers, you've worked, you've done client work in South Africa, in Eswatini, as well as in Nigeria. And in some instances, of course, there's this cross-pollination between a brand that's, that's in South Africa wanting to launch itself in the Nigeria market or, or vice versa. 
how then do you do you tell the story in a nuanced way that if it's a South African brand, it appeals in the Nigerian market and you find influencers within that market who appeal there? Because you've seen countless stories where even big brands go into a new market like Nigeria and there are many retail there are quite a few retail brands who's you know who who have said stories of trying out in those markets with all the budget and falling flat how did you find and create those nuances where you were able to get a south african brand to be sound and feel authentic in Nigeria, for instance? How do you do that? How do you make that work, especially with influencers in the mix as well there? Yeah, I think what's important is understanding the market um, and being on the ground and spending time on the ground. Look, it's every market is different. What works in SA doesn't necessarily mean it will work in Ghana or Nigeria. Um, I learned that personally while, you know, traveling and working in other parts of, of the continent. And it's, 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 it's the matter of doing your research when you're on the ground and understanding what works. And I'll make an example. We launched Old Mutual Amazing Voices in 2019, and we did four countries and um, eight cities uh, in, a, in, a, in a period of two months. And each country and each city had its own challenge. And now you're bringing Old Mutual, which is, which is to us as South Africans, Old Mutual is big. But when we went to Ghana, it's a small fish. It's a small fish. Um, we had huge challenges in, in Ghana. Firstly, we, we knew that, okay, number one, we need to get this brand to the streets. So social media in alone was not enough. You know, we needed to do activations on the ground, print flyers you know, and, and go to cars and malls on the ground so that we get people to come and audition because it was a singing competition. But people didn't even know who is Old Mutual. Whereby you go to Zimbabwe, it's a whole new ball game. You know, it's, it's, it's big, but it's still a South African company. So why should we support a South African company? So the nuances are, are, are different in, in each market. And you need to understand and the cultural intricacies that are within each and every market. And once you understand that, that's when you have an understanding, how do I then come in? How does my brand come in? How do we help this brand go in? And it's not a one-size-fits-all. There's no formula. You know, it's literally going in and understanding, spending time to understand the market. We've got a client right now called HealthGuard International. HealthGuard is a health and wellness um, um, direct uh, a business that utilizes direct marketing as their they selling technique, similar to Herbalife, very similar to Herbalife. And now, you know, as much as HealthGuard provides individuals and people who are street vendors with an opportunity to run their own business and make income, when it comes to Ghana, for example, it was very slow. The start was really slow to a point where my client took two months to just live in Ghana and understand how does this market work? How do these people, where do they shop? What do they do? What do they shop? What music do they listen to? What radio station are they listening to? What TV station are they, you know, you have to understand that 
once you do, and it's very important, once you understand that, that's when you can work around the strategy of how do I then launch in this country. So understanding your audience is 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 key. And also, I'm guessing, understanding the influencers that you can then work with. How do you then, how do you then decide which influencers to work with in a market that you're not very familiar with? Because, of course, you can get these big name influencers or you can get um, micro and nano influencers. How do you, how do you make that distinction? How do you make that call that for this brand, nano influencers would resonate for that brand celebrity influencers would resonate better how do you how do you make those calls especially in markets that you aren't as familiar with yeah i think what works for me and i'll because i can't talk about what works for everybody else i've got consultants in different markets across the continent when we are launching something um, a product or a brand or we want to do a press conference or we want to do an influence engagement, whatever the case may be. I will put the strategy together from, from my perspective and I send it to my consultant. So my consultant in Nigeria will then tell me this will work in this way in Nigeria. And if the strategy then includes as utilizing, like when we were in Nigeria last year for, for I mean, this year now in 2023, <laughs> I mean, this year for HealthGuard, when I got there, I realized, oh my God, HealthGuard Nigeria actually needs more youth voices, whereby HealthGuard South Africa needs more male voices. So when we got there, myself and the Nigerian consultant, we then started the work of finding young people who can, who are in lifestyle, fitness, health, you know, um, who, who help, I mean, healthy lifestyle, fitness, um, all around wellness. And these are the people that will resonate with the brand. So sometimes I come up with the strategy and then, but I'm very open-minded to, to work together with our consultants to say, this is the plan. This is what we want to achieve. How can we achieve it for, for your market? And, you know, my Nigerian consultant will tell me, your press, your press release is crap. It's not going to work. This is how we can do it, you know, and being open-minded about that. Look, I know a lot of South African companies, we do dictate. We do dictate. Yeah. We, we come up with the formulas and the strategies in South Africa. We send it to, to Nigeria to implement, and it shouldn't be that way. It should be, we should collaborate and work together, and that's the best way. Then, then you can find the right influencer for the brand, the right voice for the brand. Um, and and it can only happen when there's on the ground support. That's a that's a great that's a great insight. I think having on the ground support and and collaborating well. However, brands want to control their message. They're very some brands are very strict about what goes out there and what is said. You've mentioned that you collaborate closely with influencers. You collaborate closely with the brands, which of course makes sense because you know the successes that you've that you've achieved speak for themselves in some instances you find that an influencer goes off script in spite of what you've given them they go off script and mm. they 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 don't stick clearly to the message especially in things like financial services that you've mentioned where the messaging is very strict and the regulations are very strict as well in health and wellness 
once again, there are things you can say and there are things you can't say. There are claims you can make and claims you can't make. As a layman, I don't always know what those claims are and what those claims also shouldn't be. How do you manage those kinds of things without overly scripting who you work with? Yeah. So you don't script, you guide, um, and you still control the content. Um, so what we do is we provide messaging guidelines where we will, we will tell the influencer, this is what, you know, we want to see in your message. So this, these are the types of words that we want to, 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 we want you to actually incorporate in your message. Um, scripting the entire thing for the influencer, for their platforms is never advisable because it's what I said earlier that you are speaking in somebody else's voice. It's this person that needs to speak in their own voice. They need to write in their own way. That's the only way you, you will get the audience attention. But once the audience sees that, oh, this is scripted, and, and people have started noticing, that, oh, God, okay, you've gone off script, um, this is not you, somebody has written this for you, then they tap out, and you don't want people to tap out. So we don't, we don't script the message, we guide it in terms of, we give you guidelines of, you know, what to, to mention, what not to mention. It's very important to work together with the influencer in terms of the content. They create the content, send to us, we look at it. Is it fine? Is it not fine? And we are looking with the eye of the reputation, managing the reputation of the organization, hmm. not in the eye of we wanted to tell you what to say. No, it's just sure. a matter of what you are doing. Does it resonate and does it resonate with the message that we want to to? we want to send out there. Um, will it tarnish our brand in any way? Will it risk the brand in any way? That's, those are the things that we, the factors that we look for. And then we control it. The control there comes in us reviewing and approving. Call the content that's fine, you can post. So, so, so there are guidelines and almost checks and balances at every step of the journey to minimize these kinds of mishaps or instances when people go off script and things are off message, if you will. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you measure ROI in some of these instances, especially in instances where it's not a, you know, buy this or buy that. How do you measure the success of your campaigns? Because sometimes, of course, some brands want certain hard numbers, be it sales or whatever it is, how do you measure the success for some of these brands? Especially you've mentioned Old Mutual and you've mentioned health brands. How do you, me how do you measure the success between um, what's, how powerful the message was versus the benefit to the client? Mm. Um, the biggest, there's, there's different ways to manage, um, to, to, to measure. The biggest one is, is engagement. Um, it's pointless that you had 10,000 views, but no comments. Um, then, okay, they viewed it, but we want to know how did they feel about it? What is their opinion about it? And right. that is the biggest measurement, um, the engagement. Also remember, there are people who buy robots as followers. So then you get the like, but you don't, you get, you don't get the comments or you don't get the shares. 
when a person shares your, your post, it means they really liked it enough to share it on their own platform. When people comment, it means it interested them that they took those two seconds to comment. So the biggest form of measurement on social media is the engagement. Um, the biggest form of measurement on digital media is the click-ons. When my content is good enough for a person to click on it, to read more or shop now or whatever the, the call to action is, then that's how, then I measure how many click-ons did I get? Because the clicks, it means you were interested enough, you wanted more information. And um, I don't know if there's a tool that does this. I haven't investigated as yet. But if, if there's a tool that actually can extract uh, contact information of the people that click to information, then you've got your customers. You know, then that means the reach has 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 been um, measured the investment is there that one or two people that have clicked you actually automatically receive their contact maybe that's a a, a business somebody must think of <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 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 you know? no that makes sense <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense and what are some of the what have you found to be i think some of the challenges with with brands because Sometimes, and this comes up time and time again when we talk to, um, I think heads of agencies as well as influencers themselves, the, the, the element of trust, because sometimes you have to trust the process as a brand, right? What are you finding, or at least what would your, what would your parting shot be in terms of what brands should do or how they should cultivate that trust with their agency partners because you've worked in various markets you've seen a lot of kinds of influencer influencer marketing and influencer pr relationships come and go but brands because they want to say what they want to say sometimes don't trust the process enough how do you cultivate that trust how do you build it I think, I mean, it, it comes in, you know, as showcasing the work um, and ensuring that whatever that we pitch to you is good enough for you to trust us. Once the work is in and the work is done, um, you don't have, once you invest in it, I believe that's where the trust needs to come in. And what I've seen with with some brands is, especially when working with influencers, is that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trust this person, but I'm not sure what if it fails or what if they write about me on social media or what if. And the fear has to be taken away. And the trust is, is it's, it's like buying something and hoping that it will work, whatever thing that you bought. You know, you can't put money into it and not trust that the process will work. So from our perspective then is, our job is to ensure that number one, we, we, we lure you in, in our pitch and, and show you exactly how we're going to make it work step by step so that you understand the process entirely. But also understand if ever they, we may face potential pitfalls, we need to, to showcase those risks so that when the brand is investing, they understand that I'm also investing in certain risks, potential risks. And when there is a risk, this is how we can either mitigate the risk or manage it, you know, so it's, it's very important to be transparent and honest from the onset and give what they call a customer journey 
of how this thing is going to, how the process is going to flow. And once you invest and then you have to just trust the process, you know, there's no other way. If you're enjoying the lead creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. There have been many changes over the past couple of years on social networks with TikTok coming into play and Instagram in some ways changing their strategy to look more like TikTok, Facebook as well. We are seeing YouTube shorts now that are also on the rise. What are your thoughts on what social networks will one win that brands should focus on and also how these social networks influence the, co- the partnerships and collaborations between brands and who they work with? Mm. Um, I, I, I firstly believe that brands should be investing more in social media marketing, um, which is what, you know, your TikToks are, um, are offering and Twitter is, is, is offering it now with, with Twitter spaces. There's a whole conversation um, platform that Twitter has created that brands are tapping into um, where you can also advertise the conversation before, before the time. I think brands need to invest more in that. That is where the, that, that is the marketing that digital marketing is growing fast. Every single day, um, people no longer look at um, billboards. People no longer care about billboards. You know, people are too busy and people are on their phones all the time. <clears throat> so being on your phone, that's where you grab, you have a captive audience on mobile. You know, so social media then has um, uh, your meta. They've seen the the rise of brands investing in social media and the rise of the, and the demand of people utilizing social media, you know, and demand of data. So this is the place where I believe every single brand should be tapping into. I do understand that there are brands who are fearful of social media as to, you know, the negative side of social media. The, the thing about digital is that, there will be a negative side to it. There will be a positive side to it. You just need to take the risk and, and figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, yeah. TikTok is offering a great platform for brands to play. It's a playground, actually, you know, because people are going on TikTok because they're bored, because they want to, to you know, get out of whatever boredom they're in. They want something interesting, something fun, and they know they'll get it on TikTok. And immediately when you open your TikTok, there's already an ad, that's a captive audience. You know, somebody, a brand that invests in that, they're gone. You know, so um, look, it's, 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 it's an exercise. We're also trying to teach some of our other brands, some of our other brands. I know I've took some time for them to invest into TikTok, you know, but conversations that we start having also on the conversations part, you know, there are now more platforms where brands can have conversations and thought leaderships 
and give their opinions on issues, you know, that are taking place in the society or the economy, you know, and that's where I was going with Twitter spaces. You can have a branded Twitter space, a sponsored Twitter spaces, um, where you can communicate or, or provide a platform where people can communicate. So honestly, social media investment, marketing investment is key um, for now and in the near future. And I'm sure there will be something way faster and better um, that your Mark Zuckerbergs and them are creating. All right. Thank you very much uh, for that, Siho. I think that's a really great point to close on. Um, and I think what I got out of that is, yeah, trust the process, trust the process, trust your partners, let influencers be authentic in their voice, provide guidance as much as possible and uh, invest in some, I guess, test and experimentation as you go. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with your network or your friends. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter, on at Mongesi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find me on mongesi.com.